Good morning to everyone. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, I don't always remember to say this, I should, but if you don't have a Bible, please take a look around, especially just under the chair in front of you. You might have to stretch for it or reach for it, but they are there scattered throughout the auditorium. We are turning to the book of Luke chapter 4 this day. We're going to be looking at a number of different passages in Luke, so you're going to want to have both your hands free and try to keep up as we wrestle with the Word of God, seek to discern what the Word of God speaks to us, and seek to hear the voice of God as He declares His will for us through through His Word. Just as you're still finding Luke 4, a special word of thanks to all the men who made that uh, breakfast yesterday morning, such a treat. Um, some of you have some hidden talents. I wasn't aware of that, yeah, but it was great and a great time of fellowship, instruction from God's Word. Thanks to Randy for opening up his, uh, one of his lakes for us to fish later in the morning, and the fish behaved, and it was a great time, a uh, wonderful time of fellowship and enjoying God's creation together. Uh, Luke 4, I'm going to begin reading in the 14th verse. I will go as far as verse 41. So a lengthy reading, but stay with me, remembering this is the Word of God, and seek to follow Luke's train of thought as he puts the Lord Jesus on display, as he provides for us a wonderful narrative describing who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And so again, verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, Heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town 
and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother in law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Liberty. Freedom. It is an extremely popular subject. It has captured man's imagination for some generations, for some centuries now. It not only captures man's imagination, but it grips his heart and stirs his emotions, his deepest, most profound affections. It is the focus of hopes and dreams and aspirations. It is the theme of numerous songs and poems. July 4th isn't far off, less than a couple of months away. And it is, in particular, a time of year when we celebrate liberty. We rejoice over freedom. Uh, The sad irony, the very sad irony, is that many people will celebrate liberty on that day, on other occasions, and without even realizing it, they will do so while languishing, under terrible bondage. It's an irony, isn't it? They will celebrate liberty and rejoice in their freedom while in actual fact, completely unaware, they are languishing in terrible bondage. It is possible. It is entirely possible to enjoy political and economic freedom while oppressed. Happens all the time. It is possible to revel in personal rights and freedoms while enslaved. It is possible to champion the struggle for liberty and even, dare I say, to die for it while imprisoned. 
while in prison. Today I'm going to preach on true liberty, true freedom. The starting point, what I want us to notice is that the Lord Jesus, having returned to his hometown of Nazareth, he stands up in the synagogue. He receives the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, verse 17. He then proceeds to read from the 61st chapter, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls back up the scroll, returns it to the attendant. People are amazed at his words, his teaching. He proceeds to rebuke the crowd uh, for their refusal to accept his message. They lead him up to a cliff where they intend to throw him over the edge. He escapes their, their, their devices, heads down to Capernaum, we read in verse 31, and immediately then, beginning in verse 31, it's interesting, it is significant. Luke begins to describe Jesus' healing ministry, healing ministry. And he focuses on two things in particular. The first is this, that the Lord Jesus heals diseases. Look at verse 38. Simon's mother-in-law is brought to him. She is sick with a high fever. What does the Lord Jesus do in verse 39? He rebuked the fever. Into verse 40, now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And so Luke immediately goes to Jesus' healing ministry of those who are diseased, afflicted. But not only does he describe his power or his authority over disease, but his power and authority over demons. And so we have an incident back in verse 31, all the way through to verse 37, of the Lord Jesus casting out a demon. We then have in verse 41, Luke's summary remarks, if you like, demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Follow Luke's progression of thought. The Lord Jesus has stood in the synagogue. He has read from the prophet Isaiah. He has publicly declared today this prophecy is fulfilled in your presence. He is summarily rejected. He goes on his way. And now all of a sudden, front and center in Luke's narrative is Jesus' healing of diseases and his authority over demons. It continues throughout the gospel account. Just turn over a page or two. Chapter 6. And look at what we see in verse 17. And he, Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place 
with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits, demons, were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. The emphasis, note the emphasis, on diseases and demons. Over now to chapter 8. And look at what we read. Again, this is front and center in Luke's narrative. Chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he, that is Jesus, went on through the cities and villages proclaiming, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve, that's the twelve disciples were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits, demons, and infirmities, diseases. And so there they are, the two coupled again. Into the next chapter, the ninth, verse 1. And he, Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Are you getting the idea? Just one more, in case you're not, chapter 13. And look at what we read. Look with me at verses 31 and 32. Luke chapter 13, verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Central to Luke's gospel account, pivotal, we can say, to Luke's narrative, is this dual emphasis on Christ's authority over diseases and demons. His power to heal disease. His power to cast out and rebuke demons. And Luke gives us specific instances of these. He's going to describe several instances in minute detail in chapters 8, 9, and 11. He's going to give very explicit accounts of how the Lord Jesus cast out demons. And from chapter 5 all the way through to chapter 14, more or less, he is going to illustrate for us, he's going to give us examples Detailed examples of the Lord Jesus healing a leper, healing a paralytic, healing a woman with a hemorrhage, healing a man with dropsy, healing various disabilities, various deformities, even raising individuals from the dead. Luke is trying to convey something to us, is he not? He's trying to communicate something. He's trying to get something across to us that we dare not miss. Jesus' authority over demons and diseases. Why is Luke so insistent upon emphasizing this? 
I'm going to give you three reasons. Here's reason number one. Luke wants to demonstrate, he is determined to demonstrate that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. And his healing of diseases, his casting out and rebuking of demons confirms it. Look with me at chapter 7. Look at this incident, which might seem confusing upon reading, but set it in the context of the whole, and it becomes quite illuminating. Luke chapter 7, 18th verse. The disciples of John, now that's John the Baptist, his disciples, his followers, reported all these things to him. So back to John, he's already imprisoned at this point. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? It's a moment of doubt, isn't it? I think it's a moment of hesitation on, John, on the part of John the Baptist. It's quite bewildering on, on one level, isn't it? I mean, this is the man who baptized the Lord Jesus in, in the Jordan River. Uh, this is the man who declared, one comes after me whose, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He had already identified the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. He had been there when the heavens opened, the dove descended, and the voice was proclaimed, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's John's problem? Well, what was John's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was John's expectation? I dare say it was immediate judgment. An immediate judgment had not taken place. A judgment had not happened. Had anything happened to the Romans, their oppressors? No, certainly not. They were still there in the land of Israel. Had anything happened to Herod, an adulterer, an idolater, a usurper? No, Herod was still ruling. Had anything happened to the Pharisees and the, scri and the scribes and the Sadducees? No, they were still oppressing the people and misleading them. And on top of all that, to make matters worse, what had happened to John? He's in jail. I'm not sure this was his expectation. And so he sends his disciples to the Lord Jesus. And the question is, question is pointed. He does not beat around the bush. The question is direct. Verse 18, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? They got the message right. In that hour, he doesn't answer. Note it. It's significant. He doesn't say anything. He's heard the question. He's tabled it. It's out there. In that hour, what does he do? He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, these diseases, demons, diseases, demons. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he finally answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The Lord Jesus, in that statement, is making explicit reference to what? Isaiah 35. And wait for it. Isaiah 
61. What did he do back in Luke 4 in the synagogue in Nazareth? He took the scroll of Isaiah and he turned to Isaiah 61. Now John the Baptist is looking for confirmation. Are you indeed the promised one or should we expect another? What does the Lord Jesus do? He does not respond immediately. What does he do? He heals in their presence. Diseases. He casts out demons in their presence. And then he returns to Isaiah 35 and 61. What you have seen and what you have heard, you go tell John. What is his point? Yes, John, I am indeed the promised one. All that was spoken of me in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah's prophetic expectation reaches its culmination in me. I am the promised servant. I am the promised Israel. I am the promised son of God. I am indeed the Christ, the Lord's anointed. There's the first reason why Luke emphasizes his authority over diseases and demons. The second reason is this. Luke wants to demonstrate that Jesus inaugurates the promised kingdom. That as the promised Messiah or Christ means anointed, as the promised anointed one, he inaugurates a kingdom as its king. Turn now over to chapter 11. I warned you at the outset, lots of jumping around in Luke's gospel this morning. We want to hear the word of God. We want to immerse ourselves in the narrative and follow his thought flow and really pray the spirit of God impresses upon us his central message. Look with me now at chapter 11. Again, another fascinating incident, one that we can almost skip over and lose its full significance if we do not give careful attention to it. Verse 14 of the 11th chapter. Now, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so by casting out demons, by healing infirmities, sicknesses, diseases. The Lord Jesus is declaring what? And this is what Luke wants us to get, that the kingdom has been inaugurated, that with the coming of the promised one, the long expected one, that with the coming of the one who has been anointed, the Messiah, the Christ, the king has arrived 
He has established a kingdom. And as part of that kingdom, what is he going to do? He is going to establish a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. By demonstrating at this point his authority over demons and diseases, he is giving a foretaste of what? What is coming. That the kingdom has been inaugurated. It has not yet been consummated. Please do not leave here this morning thinking that I am suggesting to you that you can go home and name and claim physical healing. That is a gross misinterpretation of this text and what Luke is seeking to convey. We as Christians are caught living in the tension of two ages. The present age began at the fall, at creation and the fall, and the present age continues until the Lord Jesus comes again. Did you catch that? The age to come was established at his first coming, and it continues into eternity. That means between his first coming and his second coming, the two ages overlap. And we live with this terrible tension as Christians of being caught in two ages. Guess what? I'll confess it to you this morning. I still sin. I have no hope of sinless perfection this side of glory. I'm still going to get sick someday. I'm still going to die. We are still plagued with the consequences of living in a fallen world. Can God heal us? Yes. Does God on occasion, if he sees fit, miraculously heal us? Yes. But our faith is not in God's will to heal. It is in his power to heal if he so chooses. We are stuck in this tension. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We await the full inheritance until the kingdom is consummated. But what the Lord Jesus is doing and what Luke is emphasizing is this. The king has come. That kingdom that we are longing for and waiting for and hoping for and anticipating it has been inaugurated. Let me prove it to you. There he goes, casting out demons. There he goes, healing the leper and the paralytic and, 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 the, and the, the, every sickness and conceivable infirmity. And in doing all of these things, he has demonstrated the king is here. And this king has authority over the entire cosmos. And this king will renew the whole thing. Because he has authority over all creation. Here we are stuck as his followers, his disciples, Christians, longing for the consummation. But living with the tension of being, I state it again, stuck between two ages. This is what Luke is doing. He does not want us to miss it. He wants us to get that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he wants us to get that Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. Thirdly, he wants us to get that Jesus proclaims liberty to the captives. All the way back to chapter 4. You didn't think I was going to get there. Our text, chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We looked at that phrase a couple of Sundays ago. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Skip over the next one, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. By immediately demonstrating, showing, putting on display Jesus' authority over demons, his authority over diseases, his authority over death, Luke is explaining what those two statements mean back in the 18th verse. Jesus has come, he has been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Three questions quickly. Just three. Here we go. Who is he speaking of? In other words, who is his audience? It's clear there in the 18th verse. The captives. The Lord Jesus is preaching. He's preaching, proclaiming liberty. To whom? Who is his audience? Captives. Later in the verse, he is setting someone at liberty. Who? Who's he talking about? Those who are oppressed. Who are these captives? Who are these oppressed people? Is Jesus speaking of criminals in jail? No. Is he talking about slaves? Two-thirds people living in the Roman Empire in the days of the Lord Jesus were slaves. Are they the oppressed? Are they the captives? Is he talking about political oppression? The emperor, Roman emperor, was an oppressive tyrant? Is he talking about economic injustice? The empire was marred by high taxation. Wealth was concentrated in the hands of a few. Are these the captives? Are these the oppressed? There were innumerable widows and orphans in the days of Jesus. There were many who were destitute and disenfranchised. There was rampant injustice. There was political oppression, economic oppression, ethnic oppression, religious oppression. Here's what is fascinating and dare not escape our notice. The Lord Jesus never says anything about any of those things. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Was he concerned, aware of those things? Certainly. Was he concerned about them? I do not doubt it for a moment. Should we be aware of those things? Definitely. Should we be concerned about those things? Most certainly. But it bears stating, and it bears stating now, unless you have been living under a rock, and all of the jargon in our day concerning social justice it is very important for us never to put the cart before the horse. What is the gospel? What is the essence of the gospel? The essence of the gospel, my friend, is this. Be reconciled to God. That is the gospel. Engaging in social justice and addressing problems that plague our society, 
might very well be a consequence of the gospel. They might very well be an expression of what it means to love our neighbor, but they are not the gospel. The Lord Jesus never says anything about any of those things. Who are the oppressed? Who are the captives? None of these people. Who are they then? Peter makes it plain in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Hear these words. No need to turn there. Just listen carefully to these words. You yourselves know. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. There's your answer to the question, who are the oppressed? There's our answer to the question, who are these captives? They are those who are held under the sway, power, influence, dominion of the devil himself. Now work backwards. Do this carefully. Do this cautiously. Okay, I understand it. Diseases, demons, manifestations of the devil's oppression of humanity. Work backwards. From where did the devil get that authority? Or as a result of what? He didn't just grab that himself. Who gave it to him? God himself. It's the curse. What caused the curse? Adam's sin. Work it through. Therefore, in order to be truly free, to know true freedom, true liberty, work back through this chain of cause and effect. To be truly set at free, freedom is what? It is to be free from sin and its curse and its consequences and from the devil himself who exercises dominion over man and wreaks havoc among humanity. That's why the Lord Jesus came. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Notice secondly, the second question, well, then what's his message? We already know it's the word liberty. It's freedom. What does he mean by that? Go over to chapter 13. Just a little more jumping around. Go over to chapter 13. And look at what Luke records for us, beginning in verse 10. And set the context of what he says here in the whole. You have diseases, demons, manifestations of the devil's oppression. Work back. Why does the devil oppress? It's the result of the curse. Why did the curse enter the world, creation, humanity? Because of sin. And so what do we read in Luke 13, verse 10? Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, do not miss the words, woman, you are freed freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. What is Luke communicating to us? Oh yes, these diseases and demons, you know, they're not actually the main problem. Yes, they remind us, they demonstrate for us, they prove to us that the devil has dominion. 
But you know, that dominion is a consequence of the curse. The curse, a consequence of the fall. True freedom, what the Lord Jesus is doing by healing diseases and casting out the demons, he is pictorially preaching and proclaiming what? Our need for freedom, our need from liberty, from our greatest oppressor of all, ourselves, our own sin and the consequences of our sin. If you need confirmation of it, go all the way back to chapter 5 where it's made so plain early on in this incident surrounding, you remember him, the paralytic. Most of us have known this story since we were young infants. And his friends lower him down through the roof of the house because it's packed with people. They can't get in the front door. They lower him down through on his bed. And what do we read in verse 18? Some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, what? Man, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Let's get to the real problem here. Yeah, you're lying on a mat. You can't walk. Your sins are forgiven. Right to the chase. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know, that you may know, oh, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Rise, pick up your bed and go home. Oh, the oppressed, the oppressed, the oppressed. I don't doubt for a moment his paralysis was a problem. And I long for that day when there's no such thing as as paralysis or any other infirmity, any other ailment, any other disease, when death itself is gone, but a distant, vague memory in eternity. But make no mistake as to the message the Lord Jesus is proclaiming. The message that the Lord Jesus Christ is affirming. You have a problem. In the first instance, it's not really the paralysis, not really the diseases, it's not really even the demons. Yes, these are manifestations of the devil's control and the oppression you are under, but let's get right to the root cause. It is your sin. And Luke, by demonstrating Christ's authority to heal and cast out demons, above all else, is demonstrating what? His authority to forgive sins. His message, back in Luke 4, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. There's a third question, just quickly. Our time is moving on. We've looked at his audience, got a firm grasp now on his message. And what about his manner? His manner, it's not there in the text. But Luke gives us a wonderful example. He gives us several examples. One that I quite like is in chapter, chapter 7, verse 11. Concerning Jesus' manner as he preaches and proclaims liberty, a liberty from the penalty of sin, liberty from the tyranny of sin, a liberty that he himself will secure at Calvary's cross by making atonement for sinners. 
Look at what we read in chapter 7, verse 11, concerning his manner. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He had compassion on her. As he saw this poor widow struggling and languishing under the effects and consequences of the fall, he is moved with compassion. Do not weep. And he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. We sing it here occasionally. It's a a recent hymn, a modern hymn. It goes as follows. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Oh, full of compassion. His ministry from beginning to end testifies to it. Whether he is reaching out and touching the leper, whether he is engaging that woman with the hemorrhage, whether he is speaking to the paralytic, whether here he is raising this young boy from the dead and giving him back to his mother, whether he is healing diseases or casting out demons, oh, a man acquainted with sorrow. Why? As he witnessed his own creatures languishing under the effects of the fall. And by healing them and casting out these demons, what is he proclaiming? There is liberty. There is true freedom, and it is freedom and liberty from the curse. It is freedom and liberty from the curse and its cause, your sin, because I alone have authority to forgive you your sins. A few other thoughts here. Let me just conclude with a little line from a well-known hymn, one of my favorites. Here it is. It sums up well, sums up well. This great theme from Luke chapter 4. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. I pray you know the truth of it, friend. This isn't some fanciful, I don't know, vague notion on your part. I pray you are not repulsed by it. I pray you are not indifferent to it. Uh, that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who proclaims liberty to captives, our heavenly Father. We pray now you come by your Spirit, taking all that has been proclaimed, and you would apply it uh, deep within every heart and upon every mind. And We pray that it would be implanted deep within us, And in due course, bear that fruit which is so pleasing in your sight. 
We do proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus as alone worthy this day, worthy of all admiration and praise and thanksgiving. And we do declare our love for him, the one who loved us and gave himself up for us as a sacrifice upon Calvary's cross. Work in us, we pray, by your spirit, through your word. In his matchless name we pray. Amen.